0: GM still builds cars, trucks, and crossovers like it has for a hundred years. But these days, it's taking a part of the business into a different direction with a new company called Maven. Stay tuned for a deep dive into this 21st century transportation service. Coming up next on AutoLine This Week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy.
1: I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today we're going to be talking about mobility services. No doubt you've heard about Uber and Lyft, but a lot of you have heard about Zipcar. Well, have you heard about Maven? That's General Motors' entry into all this idea of car sharing. And the reason we're talking about that today is that we've got Rachel Bhattacharya. She is the Chief Growth Officer for Maven, and it's great to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, it's great to be here.
1: Also joining us for today's discussion, are Pete Bigelow from Car & Driver, And Michelle Krebs from Cox Automotive, and it's terrific to have the two of you here as well. Thank you. Rachel, before we get into anything, i got to ask you about your title, Chief Growth Officer. I've never heard of such a title before. What does that mean?
0: So, yeah, it's an interesting role, and it's funny. I think it just was a codification of what I was already doing, which is a lot of strategy work, growth, partnerships, new business initiatives. So going in and thinking of new lines of product that we should be offering New markets we should look at entering, partnerships that could make a lot of strategic sense, and then knitting all of that together with the broader initiatives for General Motors, so the broader strategy.
1: So this is much bigger than somebody that's in, just in sales, for example, trying to yes. increase sales. You're trying to increase the whole business We're, portfolio.
0: Exactly, and I work hand-in-hand with our chief operating officer. We have a marketing, chief marketing officer and a chief technology officer, so we joke that there's a lot of chiefs. But it's, a, it's actually a very small group, very close-knit, um, very much a startup. We just sit in an open environment and sort of toss ideas around all day long.
1: Okay, exactly. tell us, a quick thumbnail, what is Maven? It's a car sharing service, that's all I know, now you take it from there. Yes,
0: so it is General Motors' mobility brand and service, so what we think of this as is an extensible platform. And there's a few different lines of business that we've already done and more to come, but today we started with what I would call traditional car sharing, if you, that's been around long enough to have a traditional, but city-based stations, come and pick up your vehicle, check it out by the hour, by the day, bring it back. And our innovation on that was removing the need for keys. So we have a cyber secure technology that essentially tricks the vehicle into thinking that your cell phone is the key fob. So we can remove that access if needed, if there's any security concerns, we can move it between people, and it eliminates the need for any physical key exchange, which is actually kind of a, can be a pain point. There's no RFID cards, you don't have to worry about any of that. So it's all completely done on the phone. And then we expanded that over. We had, um, you know, General Motors had the investment in Lyft, and we worked with them to stand up the Express Drive program, and that was a car sharing service specifically for rideshare drivers. And we had a lot of requests from those renters for something that was platform agnostic. Most rideshare drivers don't just drive for one; they drive for both or more. And so we came out with Maven Gig, uh, which is the agnostic solution. So with that, you have. Unlimited mileage. It's all-inclusive. The insurance is included. Maintenance is included. If you, sh- if you pick the Chevy Bolt EV, your charging is included, so you have no fuel expense. And all of that is a minimum of a week, so it's also pretty flexible. So, so what you're
1: saying is, I can go and get a car from Maven, and now I can go out and be an Uber or a Lyft driver yes. or whatever the service is.
0: And you'll have insurance that allows for that use, which is a pretty big pain point for people in the gig economy. So they... They can get insurance, but it might not cover commercial use, or they can find one that does, but it can be very expensive. And by virtue of being backed by General Motors, we have a lot of flexibility, and we have some great risk management people that are just very cutting-edge and proactive. So we were able to come up with an insurance solution that covers all their needs, whether they're using the car for personal use or when they go and use it for a different platform. They don't have to worry that they have some gap in coverage. They're just they're covered. Mm-hmm. So bigger
1: picture, where do you see this whole sharing economy going? Because General Motors still sells a car to a consumer. Um, Do you see a day that that overtakes
0: personal ownership? I see them as complementary. So even today, if you think about an individual that has, say, a small commuter vehicle but occasionally needs an SUV for, you know, they're going to Ikea is our, our joke about the standard option. Or... I might want a nice vehicle for my anniversary dinner. So, the idea would be you have a vehicle that you primarily own. I mean, you can also see a future where you have a stake in a vehicle, right? I might have a a partial subscription to it, but it still feels like it's my vehicle. And then you can augment it with more of that portfolio approach. And I think General Motors, in particular, because we do have such a breadth of brands, I mean, everything from economy vehicles all the way up to luxury. I think it really allows us to bring an interesting solution set to the table for somebody that has a variety of needs in their vehicle. So I think it's, it's more about empowering the customer. I think somebody that wants traditional ownership, obviously we can accommodate, and then somebody that wants no ownership, we can accommodate. Everything in between um, is really what we're tackling now, which is somebody that has you know, repeat use or access to an asset, um, whether to use that to earn money in the gig economy or just for personal use. And then how can we think about partnering with, say, GM Financial and, you know, bringing more and more solutions on board for individuals? Because as urbanization increases, we're expecting that more and more people will choose more of that fractional access and transportation as a service rather than traditional ownership. But it does not, one does not negate the other. I mean, I think the company has been very, very proactive and forward looking in the sense that we see that as an opportunity rather than as a threat. So if you come out with a a great solution and something that delights customers and people will come back, you don't have to think of it as a loss of a customer. It's more about engaging them sort of wherever they are on that spectrum.
2: So I have a question for you on the the Maven Gig side of things. It's been a year now since Maven Gig launched. Curious about what what lessons you've learned in that year, how you've seen that uh, part of Maven grow, Mm -hmm. and and maybe more broadly, how has the 1099 economy evolved now in this era where unemployment is really tight and maybe there's fewer people looking for a flexible job like like driving for multiple platforms?
0: Yes. And that last one's been interesting. I think the the short answer is gig's been going really well. Um we've expanded it rapidly. I think we just recently launched Baltimore, Washington, DC, and Boston. So we're now in San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, Phoenix, Detroit. Boston, Baltimore, D.C. I just have to mentally run down the map there, but um, because it's changing every week. I mean, we're, we're continuing to expand. Um, I think surprise was that the Bolt EV was as popular as it is. Um, it's by far the top choice. We love it. I mean, I'm, I'm a greenie and I love EVs, but we just didn't know what the take rate would be. Um, and so on that one, that was a pleasant surprise. So now we're we're getting more of them from the factory and attempting to get them as quickly as we can. I think um, from the the 1099 economy, what's interesting for us is some of the customer groups were maybe not what I would have thought, Um, but we have a lot of retirees. So we have a lot of people that are just leaving the workforce and adjusting to fixed income, and having that extra cash flow can be really, really helpful. Um, We found out anecdotally, we had a lot of veterans. So we had a lot of people that were returning to the workforce, and we spoke with a few different veterans groups and tried to understand how we could better meet those needs. And what's exciting with that, with Rideshare in particular, is um, for many of the people that have served, they're in a place where they need to earn right away, but they might take a lower wage job just to get that income, and then you've locked yourself in. And now you're applying for the job you really want, but your resume maybe has something that suggests you're not at that salary bracket. or, And so giving somebody a solution where they can transition in, They don't have a salary they have to report, right? It's self employment. They get that income and they can continue to job hunt. But more than that, they can network. Because if you think about the number of people coming in and out of that vehicle every day, um, one of the exciting things when we spoke with veterans groups were two of the areas we can immediately help with. And one is what they call learning civilian speak. So getting out of the habit of constantly, you know, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and, you know, more into that. Fluids And so, of course, if you've got people in and out of the car and you're doing small talk, it's really great for that. And then just the networking. So asking somebody, what field are you in? What do you do? And if it's something that's of interest, you know, helping drivers with what's your elevator pitch, right? How do you explain your, your brand and what you want to do? And so we, we actually just announced it, but we're going to do a discount all of next year for um, veterans on the Bolt specifically because that's the lowest cost to use and see if we can facilitate some of more of those partnerships and people kind of getting back in. But so from those perspectives, those groups actually really haven't been impacted as much by the the differing rates of unemployment because it just was, they're sort of in a different situation. We have seen a little bit of changes in the the bonuses that are paid out and things like that, um, which I think reflects that there is a tightening labor market and fewer people are using this Other than very specific life stages right so retirement or returning veterans we see sometimes students that are looking for that first job will will augment and then seasonal demand so we we do get a lot of demand right around the holidays because the earning potential kicks up as well as people just looking for some extra income um, to offset holiday expenses so we see all of that happening um, in in this it's fun though i mean you're right there with a front a front row view Of what's happening with the economy.
1: Rachel, how many cars do you have in the Maven service right now and how fast is it growing?
0: Um, All in, I think something around 6,000. We're looking to have at least um, 2,000 bolts by the end of next year, so that'll add. And then the rest of it is more a function of sort of new partnership models where we're working with corporate customers, as an example, on some of their fleets or campus-based solutions. We um, are partnering now with uh, USC out in LA and putting vehicles on their campus and so I think the fleet composition as we go along is going to more reflect what some of those campus deployments are really looking for as ter- well as the Bolt.
1: In terms of users how fast are you growing how many people are using the service right now and yeah. how fast is it growing? I think
0: we're about to hit hundred thousand members um, that's that's headed our way here I think in the next couple of weeks um, I made a cake for the team when we crossed hundred million miles which was a while ago now um, and so I'll make another one when we cross 100,000 members. But, um, no, that's been that's been phenomenal. I think we're still in healthy double digits month over month on so the members. So
1: what you're saying, too, is that one of these shared cars can accommodate what? Uh, a dozen people or more.
0: Yes. One car easily. could
1: displace 12 other cars.
0: And I think there's been some studies that have come out to that effect. And so when we engage with cities on some public-private conversations, a lot of it does come down to, what are your goals, right? You know, and and it's, it's as much about you know, VMT, vehicle miles traveled, it's also just about better land use and not having as much tied up with parking. And so when we, especially coming with the phone as FOB and that you know, it makes it a little bit easier to manage some of that from a, a seamless perspective. And so I think our next innovations are really going to be around a fleet that can be deployed into multiple use cases. So instead of having a fleet dedicated for one thing, um, you know, taking our various, various vehicles and bringing them all together, the technology platform was very much built as a platform, so all of our different services knit together on the back end, and that makes it easier for us to move things around and shift things depending on demand. So I think we're going to continue to iterate on that so that we can get even more efficient with the vehicle footprint and the asset deployment.
1: At the same time, you are collecting an immense amount of data. Yes. <laughs> yes, um, are. What are. You, what are you finding about the consumers who use the services, So Is there some big
0: trend you see? Trend? No, I mean, I think we're careful with customer specific data. We look at everything in aggregate. Um, I think that to some extent we've been a little surprised, at least I was, that our gig renters um, are very different from our Maven City renters. So in my mind, we had, you know, one group of customers. Maven City is very millennial. Right. That's, you know, your young urban dwellers, I think we're right around 80 percent um, would quote, would count as a millennial mm-hmm. from a demographics perspective. Maven Gig, as I mentioned, skews quite quite a bit older, um, my age, <laughs> so older or, or some retirees. But but I think that that for us has been interesting in terms of the brand right? and thinking about how you how you message and resonate with customer groups that are so different from one another in terms of their life stage and, and what they're trying to do. So that's, I think, been a really great challenge. We have a phenomenal chief marketing officer, and I think she's, she's done a great job of how you think about messaging what the brand is and what the solution is for a customer. But where we really have been using the data um, is actually on charging infrastructure. So we can take an aggregate telemetry view of where, as an example, all of the Maven gig vehicles are going in a market, and then take that down to just the EVs and say, are there gaps? Right. Is, are there, is, does this suggestive that there's some areas where these drivers aren't going when they have an EV? And luckily the answer most of the time is no, but we can occasionally find an area and say, all right, let's work with a local utility or a city. And here's where the chargers are now. Here's where we think demand exists. Can we work together, give them the data that they need and want so that they can make sure when they're spending capital on the infrastructure, it's going to get used. Um, and so that's been, that's been really great, honestly, to bring that to the table and try and work with cities in a more collaborative way.
2: Maybe to piggyback on that, it is really interesting that this has kind of put General Motors and and Maven in a position where you're working with cities in a way you haven't before. Yes. Uh, And specifically using the bolts and paying for the electricity, you're kind of uh, promoting demand and electricity without kind of taking on the responsibility for for that infrastructure yourself
0: no exactly and that was that for me was pretty exciting just as a business and strategy geek um being able to just bring guaranteed demand right and so you think about that chicken and egg problem that people talk about all the time with infrastructure how do you ensure that there's enough charging in order for people to buy an ev well how do you ensure there's enough evs in order to justify the charging and our answer was a rental fleet, right? Go rent a whole bunch of EVs to people that are in very high mileage applications. I mean, these, this is more than 100 miles a day on average, the people that are putting on the car. And you definitely will have the charging used. And so when we come to a partner, we can say, all right, we will work with the utility, we'll work with an infrastructure provider, we'll guarantee the demand. And that would be hard for anybody to do other than this business. And with that, you can create what I would call like a sustainable ecosystem of infrastructure, right? It was very important to us that we not go out with the mentality that it was going to be, you know, just for us, right? I mean, I think when we are saying we'll guarantee a specific number, we'll ask for some level of dedication so we can make sure we hit that. But for the most part, um, we've been able to just partner with public infrastructure providers and essentially de-risk their business model by virtue of bringing guaranteed demand for the product. Um, And that's, for me, is great. I think it's a It's from a shareholder perspective as well, I think making sure that we're not shouldering the entirety of the infrastructure makes a lot of sense and then generating a public good I think also makes a ton of sense and you've seen I think all of the announcements coming out from every OEM about EV plans and ours is very aggressive Um, and I think it's exciting to be part of the solution to make sure that those cars will be actively used and loved. And not.
1: Speaking of uh, benefiting shareholders, I'm wondering how you affect the rest of General Motors. One of the things I've heard, and I'd like to get some detail on it if you can, of taking cars off lease yes. and putting them into Maven. Because as you know, this industry is choking on so many cars coming off lease right now. And if yep. you can put them to good use, boy, that's really going to help the yeah. company.
0: We're just sitting there going, yeah, give them to me. <laughs> um, no, I think we, we had a, a minimum level of connectivity that we needed um, in the vehicles, which you know, at, at GM, that's not... That's everything, so that's easy. And we just look at what's coming back off lease. We look at what comes off rental. Um, We have a mix of new cars in the Maven City Fleet typically. Um, And then we have the Bolts obviously are new um, just because they're new. But I think for Maven Gig in particular, the ability to take a really good condition vehicle, right? This is two years, three years old, and get it up to, you know, you could sell these off of a dealer showroom. I mean, we get them completely up and then run it in the fleet. I think there's, from a General Motors shareholder perspective, I mean, first off, it just helps with residuals, right? We're we're taking them and giving them a second life. Um, But then I think on top of that, you can think about a vehicle that the profitability used to just be, I sell it. And now the profitability is, well, sure, you sell it, but you also earn service revenue on it. And so it's a really interesting diversification as well on just the company's financial model, um, which is is just a a really good thing to have. And people talk about, all of the the headwinds against the automotive industry. Um, Obviously, Jim has been performing exceptionally well even against those. But having this as a solution and an option set and really creating it before you need it, right, so that this is a robust and healthy platform that if in the event that we need to shift more revenue around to services, we can just do that.
1: So of the 6,000 cars you have right now, Mm -hmm. take the bolts out. How many of those would be off-leaf vehicles?
0: I think the majority are so far have been off rent just because off of the daily rentals off. Yeah. Off of um, you know buybacks from rental companies only because of the generation move have on star that we needed to have and the model year we needed to have. I think starting next year, it'll be majority off lease. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll be taking and that houses. brings
1: your cost down.
0: Yeah, it does a little bit, which is which is good. Um, and then I think we're we specifically go kind of market by market with our partners at GM Financial and, and understand where is the residual benefit Um, You know you try not to unload too many vehicles of a single type in a single market at a certain time And then within a certain parameter as long as we can get the price bracket where we need it to be for our renters Because this is this is how they earn their money, right? So this cannot be an expensive vehicle Um, You can we have a lot of flexibility on what we can take back, right? And so I think it again It just is a really great tool in the arsenal uh, for GM as far as shareholder value creation Speaking of profitability. Yes is it a profit center, is it profitable, when will it be? So it's, it is treated as a profit center. I think it's not meant to be a charity by any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a startup. Um, I think the profit center view, and I always have to explain this one, is that we look at it from an enterprise profit creation. So as an example, if we pay for the electricity, right, that might not be great for my own personal profitability, but if it brings infrastructure online for General Motors at a low cost of capital, that's an enterprise benefit, right? And so we we measure it from the perspective of what have we created for the enterprise, what have we brought in for ourselves, and then add those two together. And so sometimes we'll do something that hurts Maven's profitability but benefits the enterprise, and the math works. So we have those conversations, as you might imagine, constantly. But no, it is very much a for-profit business. Um, And I think, like most startups, we're not yet at a break-even point just because of where we are as just ourselves. But from the enterprise view, we are already a profit center for GM. What
1: does it look like five years from now, do you think? Oh
0: man, Um, personally I think, I'm hoping it'll be majority electric, just because I'm a big EV fan. And I think we see that trend going with cities as well. I mean, I think the noise pollution, environmental pollution, um, I mean, Mary's big strategic planks have been no emissions, no accidents and no congestion. And I think for us, certainly no emissions were, we can help with that all day long. I think on no accidents, it's, it's interesting, we have as a fleet operator a vested interest right, in reducing the accident rate, as well as just basic human decency. We want to re- reduce the accident rate. So we're able to test very quickly in our fleet different technologies and techniques to try and capture data on driving behavior, to try and establish you know, fault after an accident very quickly and very you know, resiliently. And with all of that, I think we learn quickly, we can help feed all of that back in to the broader enterprise in terms of what technology in a vehicle might, might make sense. Or if you think about most of the insurance products out there for safe driving scores, they'll give you a lower rating because you drive late at night. Well, if you're a rideshare driver, right, you're gonna pick up a lot of fares late at night. And so that can hurt their insurance scores. So for us to be able to bring a wealth of data and say, well, no, this is how you do a smart driver score for somebody in the gig economy, right? That unlocks value for the renters if we can then you know, work with insurance companies to kind of reset some of those expectations. So I think that um, for us, it's, it's going to be as much about deploying the business as it is about thinking about the data and how do we help partners in other industries to really kind of craft new business models. So I think we'll be doing a lot more of that in the next five years.
2: Maybe also looking ahead a few years down the road, mm-hmm. um, the Bolt is the flagship of, of Maven, yes. also appears to be the center of General Motors' autonomous vehicle efforts. Yep. Uh, you know, from a data perspective, are there things that you're learning in Maven that you're, you're passing along to the, you know, others who are, who are looking at that autonomous future, and, yes. and how are those two tying together?
0: No, most definitely. Um, so one of the big interesting points for us has been battery life. And so nobody really knew what would happen when you took an E.V. and put it on 100 percent just fast charge, because this renter group, for the most part, aren't able to charge at home, right? So they may not own, they may be renting. It, they may only want the vehicle for a few months while they're transitioning, and they don't want to pay for a charger installation, right? I wouldn't either if I was in their situation. So we pay for fast charging. Most uh, retail owners of a Bolt will charge on fast charge maybe 5% of the time, right? And with us, it's the inverse. They will they'll charge on a level two or a slower charger maybe 5% of the time, and the rest of it is all fast charge. And that does shorten the battery life. And so, you know, as an OEM, you're always extremely conservative with your, your assumptions around what will happen with the battery. And it's really valuable to come in, and on, the batteries are holding up really well. <laughs> so it's really nice to come in with hard data and say, no, this is, this is your hellish scenario, right? This is stop and go traffic, 100% fast charge, every weather condition imaginable, and say, well, how is the battery going to perform, right? And that's invaluable, given that that is, that is the basis for the AV program. So having um, that kind of data, we, we have a lot of internal consumers of that data, uh, where we put out a report every month um, with data on what's going on with the batteries, with use cases, with miles, and um, we luckily have had almost no maintenance expense on these new cars, but as they get older and we start having more maintenance, we'll be able to compare what's happening with you know, the EVs versus the non-EVs and those kinds of things and in different markets. And it's, I think for a company that is intending to deploy an EV-based fleet nationally, that's, that's really, really valuable data.
2: Beyond some of that vehicular data and battery data, how about uh, like usage patterns around a city, like specific points where you might want to send a a gm cruise lift vehicle some someday in the not too distant future to pick up. You know the highest rate of affairs at a certain area of the city, or things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, certainly. I think part of what we do, though, when we when we look at the telemetry, is we don't know if somebody is on or off app at that moment in time. So we can see an aggregate where the vehicles are going, and that's intentional. Some of it is we're just very careful with privacy. I think the other piece of it, though, is that what really matters when you're going to own and deploy a fleet for. True autonomous, you know, meeting all the customer needs. It isn't just going to be conventional rideshare. People are going to use the vehicles in a variety of ways, and so we wanted the yes and view of the data. So yes, and the vehicles are going to have to go somewhere at night. And so when we look at telemetry, we also, as an example, look at engine off, and so where was a vehicle for six hours? And that could be where somebody just has a day job and it's parked while they're at work. It could be somebody's house. You know, again, we're very careful not to not to figure that out and then we also anonymize it onto a one kilometer by one kilometer grid so we just know where you were to that closest grid point but when we look at all of that it becomes very suggestive of a good location for a large as an example charging hub for the, if the cars were parked at night or this is this is a, a rideshare driver that is and a delivery driver because they do that as well they're trying to maximize their profit they're trying to maximize their earnings and this is where they've chosen to keep the vehicle right for a variety of reasons and that's pretty reflective of just natural market forces. So rather than trying to go in and theorize and build big abstract models, which I'll do that all day, all day long as well, but having real data of individuals who were trying to maximize profits and what they did and where the vehicles went for them, gives you just kind of another point of view. And sometimes it's surprising. I think we had one in Boston We had sort of expected that we wouldn't see a lot of um, parking right downtown, right, because it's a very expensive financial district. A lot of vehicles were parked right downtown. And we eventually realized there are garages there where it's very expensive to park during the day. At night, it is not expensive at all because they serve people that work in the financial district during the day, and they're empty at night. So a lot of our renters were choosing to park there at night. And that's the kind of insight we probably never would have gone in and said, oh, you should put it right downtown. I mean, it just, that's not very intuitive. But when you start to see how people really use the vehicles, you start to get something. It's like, oh, of course. I, mean, I just didn't think about it that way. But when you have the data, it becomes a lot easier to make fact-based decisions. Um, so, no, that's a huge part of what we're doing.
1: Okay, we're down to the very end here. I need a really, really fast answer. Are you worried about uh, the market shifting to, to going to all ride-sharing, not car-sharing?
0: I mean, frankly, I would. Real benefit, I would benefit either way at this point, so okay. no.
1: You, you'll, you'll take both. We'll take both. Okay, yeah. really interesting. We're going to have to watch how Maven grows and thrives under their chief growth officer. But Rachel Bhattacharya, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. Pete Bigelow, Michelle Krebs, want to thank you too, and have always got to thank all of you for having tuned in.